Welcome to Crossroads. How are you guys doing tonight? Four of you are just loving life tonight. Four of you are just with it. Hey, we're really glad that you're here. Uh, my name's Craig. I'm one of the pastors around here. Uh, I'm really excited about tonight. And, um, and I want to pray, and I want to jump right into it with you guys. Let's pray. Uh, God, we thank you for um, all that you are doing. Uh, Lord, we thank you for every person that is here tonight, uh, not here by accident, uh, but here by design. God, here uh, on purpose, for purpose, and with a purpose. And so, Jesus, as we dive into your word tonight, I pray that it would come alive in ways that we never expected. Um, and uh, Lord, I pray that you would have your way in our hearts. Um, Lord, may every word that comes from my mouth tonight be exactly what you want to be heard tonight by your people. We love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. It was a cold day, like a really cold day, like the kind of cold day that every time you exhaled, you could see your breath. It was that kind of cold day. Jesus was in the temple, and of course, we were right there with him. We were right there with him almost every single step of the way. I mean, Peter was out in the crowd like he always was, swapping old fishing stories with his brother Andrew with every ear nearby that was willing to give him an audience. And then, of course, Zebedee, his sons, James and John, they were right by Jesus' side. Every single step he would take, every turn he would make, they were right there. And then Matthew, reliving the glory days of what it was like to be a tax collector talking to some Roman officials, probably swapping old stories about old tax code. And then off on the outskirts was Thomas. Thomas was kind of doing what Thomas did. Just kind of hanging out. Just kind of surveying, seeing what was going on. Looking like there was something that was always going on in his mind, thinking about something, processing something. Like trying to make sense of something that he had heard over and over and over again. This was the landscape. This is what we were looking at. When all of a sudden the crowd began to gather. And this was a different crowd. This was a different crowd than we were used to. This crowd was, this crowd was aggressive. This crowd almost felt angry this time. This crowd felt like they had an agenda because they weren't listening to any of the explanations that were being given. These explanations, this teaching, we had all heard it before. That this rabbi proclaimed himself as the good shepherd and that anyone who would be willing to listen to his words and obey them would be considered his sheep. We heard that before. But the crowd began to stir because there would be a declaration, a proclamation that would echo and still echoes into my mind this day that would change the landscape of humanity. This is the kind of statement that was about to be uttered that began to cause quite a stir. It began to cause quite a scene amongst everybody. This is the kind of incident, this stirring, this scene that begins to, begins to unfold where it begins to spike your adrenaline instantaneously. 
where all of a sudden your heart is beating so wildly and so profoundly in your chest, it's trying to escape. This proclamation, this scandalous and provocative six-word line that Jesus would about to deliver is what caused it all. When he said these words, the Father and I are one. Really, Jesus? That's what you're going to say? You know exactly what happens when you say something like that. You know that this is what gets under the, the skin of this crowd. You know that they get angry. You know that this ticks them off. We've seen it before. Like the time that you went over to the crippled beggar and you said, hey, I'm going to heal you, but I'm going to give you a healing beyond the physical healing I'm about to give you because I'm going to declare that your sins are forgiven. Yeah, it's that kind of anger that you would stir in the crowds. And don't get me started on all the Sabbaths that you broke because you decided to go heal all of these people. Oh, and then of course that one time when we were all together and you said the most provocative words that nobody in this Jewish landscape would ever say, they would never utter the name of Yahweh, but you declared yourself the great I am, that I am Yahweh. And in this very moment, on this very cold day, the day where we could see our breath, you decided to say and proclaim that the Father and I are one. This is the kind of provocative, scandalous claim that Jesus made on this very cold day that would change everything. And don't get me wrong, it wasn't the words that people were moved by, it was the reaction of the people. Nobody needed to hear more plainly about what Jesus had just claimed, that he was in fact God. Don't necessarily take his words for it, it was the reaction to the words that spoke everything that everybody needed to know about that scene that day. Because the religious Pharisees, they decided that they would go pick up these stones and they would try and inflict a conviction, a punishment, a verdict on this man that only the scriptures would say that if you blasphemed, uh, if you blasphemed God and you claimed to be him, that you were surely due a death by stoning. And that's exactly what happened on this particular day. And it was so clear that this man, Jesus, made it clear to everybody who was within an earshot of him that he didn't just know God, he claimed to be God. If you would go back with me 2,000 years ago to that particular scene right there, and we were to reread this particular passage in John chapter 10, it is highly likely that some of the details that you just heard are some of the details that you might find if John chapter 10 would have gone into a little bit further detail by our author, John. Because this is the claim that begs this question in the middle of this series that we are in right now. In fact, we've got 20 more weeks of this. That when we say something like Jesus was fully man and fully God at the exact same time, you know what kind of response that emits from the world today? You believe that? And tonight I want to walk us through the evidence in scripture and other resources that point so clearly that not only was Jesus fully human, but he was also fully God to which when somebody responds to you and says, you believe that? You'll be equipped walking out tonight knowing without reservation 
that the claim that Jesus made on that very cold day in the temple when he said the Father and I are one, there is no evidence out there that could refute that. Because in John chapter 10, this is the kind of claim that we would see where Jesus would boldly claim that he was not only fully human, but that he was fully God. Why is this such a big deal? Why does this cause so much tension? Because in a world that we live in today, the world simply cannot believe anything that gets followed up with this question. You believe that? And you gotta like have your voice go up high like I do at the end, without your voice cracking. This is like the first time I've said it well without my voice cracking. But you believe that? To which you would say, yes, I absolutely do. I believe that Jesus was fully man and fully God. There's a paraphrased sentence credited to C.S. Lewis. Once an atheist turned Christian, and it actually confronts this very issue that we're talking about tonight. Now this paraphrased sentence, uh, sentence, he neither wrote nor spoke. We as a people decided that we would shorten this longer paragraph that I am gonna read to you, but perhaps you've heard this phrase before. Jesus was either a liar, lunatic, or Lord. You've heard that, right? Lots of you have heard that. This actually comes from a more significant paragraph that is much more meaningful than just this one-line word right here. And it goes like this. Take a look at the screen. I'm gonna read, read this with you. It says, I am trying here, this is what C.S. Lewis writes, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. What a way to start a sentence, by the way. I'm here to prevent anybody from inserting their foot into their mouth. I'm here to prevent anybody from saying something really stupid. And it's this, it's this quote right here. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's the tension right there. And that's the world that we live in today. Lots of people believe that Jesus was this great moral teacher. Man, what a human being. What a person to strive to be as a humanitarian. But then we have the provocative, scandalous claim that he is God. C.S. Lewis continues, that is the one thing we must not say, that I'm willing to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I cannot accept him to be God. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not just be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on, the, on a level with the man who says he is a poached egg. No offense to any of you like poached eggs. Or else he would be like the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or, or worse, you can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him. You can kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher, about him only being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. This is the tension that we live in today. It's this right here. And that question stares every single one of us square in the eyes. Do you believe that Jesus was just a man? Or do you believe that Jesus was fully man and fully God? Because the reality is today, 
There's no debate about Jesus being a human being. There is no debate. Every single religion out there acknowledges that Jesus was a human being and walked this earth. Even atheists believe that Jesus walked this earth as a human being. That's not what's up for debate. Romans chapter one, verses two through four makes it clear for us in our Bible. And you can go to a whole host of other resources that don't preach Jesus, by the way. And you can see that there are claims that Jesus was fully human. Romans chapter one, verses two through four says this. God promised this good news long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The good news is about his son. In his earthly life, he was born into, the king, uh, born into king David's family line. There it is. In his earthly life. And he was shown to be the son of God when he, raised, uh, when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus as a human being is widely accepted. But what's just as widely accepted that we see true in scripture is Jesus' claim to be God. That's just as clear as Jesus as a human being because Jesus actually has two natures. Nerd out with me a little bit. Stick with me for a second. Nerd out with me. Turn on those like nerdy brains. Stick with me for a second because Jesus actually has two natures. He has a human nature, a full human nature, and he has a divine nature, a fully divine nature. And these two things are actually inseparable. They stay with each other. They absolutely stay with each other. Jesus will forever be the God man, fully God and fully human, two distinct natures in one person, one person. Jesus' humanity and divinity are not mixed, but are united without loss of separate identity. This is something that we call the, hypersta- uh, the hypostatic union. This is what we call the hypostatic union, and it's this. The hypostatic union is the term used to describe how God the Son, Jesus Christ, took on human nature, yet remained fully God at the same time. This is the hypostatic nature, the hypostatic union that we see, where we have a fully human and fully God person at the exact same time. And the Gospels actually showcase this. You guys know the Gospels? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. They showcase this. The beautiful picture about the Gospels is it actually portrays Jesus in each of the four Gospels through a particular lens from the author. It's really fascinating. It's really cool. Maybe you've heard this. I bet some of you have. Here's what we know about Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew actually portrays Jesus as a king. And then when we go to Mark's Gospel, we see that he's actually portrayed as a servant. We see Jesus through the lens of what it's like to be a servant. And then when you go to the book of Luke, we see that he's portrayed as a man. And then when you get to the Gospel of John, we see very clearly that Jesus is portrayed as God. John's Gospel portrays Jesus as God. Now when John wrote his Gospel, he had a purpose for it. Oftentimes you sort of look at the beginning and you're like, all right, what's he writing this thing for, blah, blah, blah. You gotta go all the way to the end of John's gospel in chapter 20, starting in verse 31. Check out what he writes. He says this, the disciples, which includes him, which includes Peter, which includes Andrew, which includes Matthew, which includes Judas, which includes Thomas, and a whole host of other disciples, 12 in total, these disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book in John's account, where John is portraying Jesus as God. This is what he's doing. He's 
putting out this claim that there are some really cool things that I'm recording in this book, but my goodness, there are so many other things that aren't even recorded in this book. And here's what he says, verse 31. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. He gets to the very end of everything that he writes, and he says, oh, by the way, you want to know why I wrote this? It's this. I want you to know that there are so many other miraculous things that Jesus did and that he is right here. He is the son of God, that Jesus is the Messiah. And anybody that would believe in him, they would be saved by the power of his name. This is the God. As Doug Hughes texted me earlier today, it's God with a bod. Jesus that's free, you write that in your notes. That's from Pastor Doug. You, you give Pastor Doug a little shout out right there. But it's true. This is God in the flesh. And this is why John wrote all of this. In fact, go to the very beginning. This is the very end of John's gospel. Go to the very beginning of John's gospel and look at how he opens this thing. He says, in the beginning was the word. Notice this word is capitalized. This word is speaking about Jesus. It says, in the beginning was the word and the word already existed. The word was with God. And the word was God. Camp out right there with me for a second. The word was God. Jesus was on the scene from the very beginning. He was on the scene from the very beginning. He already existed. He was with God and the word was God. Verse two, he existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, Jesus, and nothing was created except what? Through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Extinguish it. John argues right here that Jesus is the word. The Greek word right here is logos, or logos. It's, the actual word is logos. That's how you pronounce that. It's logos. It literally means eternal, eternity. That Jesus is eternal. There was no beginning. There, was, there will be no end of him. He is infinite. And further, all creation came about by and through Jesus, who is presented right here in John chapter one as a source of life. And here's what's amazing. Logos, the word, Jesus, actually came and lived among us. Look at John chapter one, verse 14. If you were to skip down a few verses, it says this. So the word became human. So here we have the deity part. We have the fully God part from the very beginning. And then we see in verse 14 that the word became human. That's right, he came down to this earth to hang out with, with us. That's what he did. That's what he was about where he fulfilled this fully God, fully human, hypostatic union, and he made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. I love how the message translation puts this. Check this out. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. He moved into the neighborhood. When I grew up, I lived on a cul-de-sac uh, in Fullerton, and I love the street 
that I grew up on. There were some other neighborhood kids, played a lot of basketball, played some roller hockey, did all kinds of fun stuff. And then one day, I was probably eight or nine years old, right next door to me, there was a couple of uh, adults that moved in, not even kids, but they were adults. And this one adult was so cool. He was so cool. He had dirt bikes in his garage. He went to bed super late. You guys, he drank Pepsi for breakfast. This guy moved into the neighborhood and was so cool. I'll never forget for one, uh, one July 4th, somehow he got his hands on a pumpkin and he had some TNT in his garage and he took this pumpkin out into the middle of the street, lit this thing, put it in the pumpkin, put the top on it and this thing just blew up. It just went everywhere and I'm like, this guy's so cool. This guy's so cool. This guy actually owned a landscaping company and he would go around and he would mow people's grasses and one day, I'll never forget, I was probably 12 or 13, he goes, hey, do you wanna come with me and make some money? I was like, yeah, can I have Pepsi for breakfast? And so we go, he's giving me 20 bucks per yard and we're going around and this guy was so cool and he moved into the neighborhood. This guy was so awesome. Jesus, what he did was amazing. He moved into the neighborhood. He gave up his divine rights in heaven and he goes, I'm gonna go down and be with these people. I'm gonna go down and I'm gonna live amongst them. To which as us, we're like, wow, that's really cool. And then the other part of us, we're like, are you dumb? That's what you wanna do? You're gonna hang out with us? We're messed up. But he says he moved into the neighborhood. Jesus became flesh and blood. And he moved in among us. Colossians chapter one, verses 15 through 17 says this, that he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He is the invisible God. He is God with skin on. For by him, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things, all things hold together. All things hold together. You ever felt like you just couldn't hold it all together? You ever been there? Maybe you've said this phrase, because I know I've said it. You know what? I've done all I can do. Who's said that before? I've done all I can do. We've all said that. I've done everything I can do. Which is both right and wrong. You're right in that, you're exactly right. You have done all that you can do but we're wrong in assuming that the thing that we're trying to do to fix the thing, that the thing is dead and gone because it's not dead and gone, because it's not ours to fix. It's not ours to hold together. This is why the invisible God became visible. It's why he moved into the neighborhood because he wanted to understand that he fully gets us. He fully understands us. Hebrews 4 says that we have a high priest who knows everything that we have endured he sees everything that we have walked through, everything. And so the thing that you feel like you just can't seem to hold this all together anymore, guess what? He understands. 
He understands when you say, I've done all I can do. You know, I thought my marriage with my wife would have gone a lot differently, and I've done everything that I can do, but it's not yours to hold together. It's God's to hold together if you would just willingly give it to him, if you would just offer it to him, if you would continue to do your part that God has called you to do, but also allow God to do his part, because what is unfolding and what you are trying to hold together, you were never meant to hold together. You were never meant to hold together. In him, all things hold together. That thing that you're struggling with, that prodigal son or daughter that has ran that has ran away from home has ran away from their faith and maybe you've sat there bitterly in your home resentful i've prayed about this for years i've done all i can do it's not for you it's not yours to do it's not yours to hold together it's god's to hold together the job that you're sick of, the parenting that is exhausting you, that has you saying at the end of the day, I've done all I can do. You're right, it's all you can do. And God now wants to do the thing that he is supposed to do, where he, from the very beginning, wants you to know that he holds all things together. He holds all things together. It's Jesus, and it's because of Jesus because he holds all of these things together, there was a question that Jesus posed 2,000 years ago that is posed to you and I today that stares us square in the eye. And it's highly likely that this question would have been the same question that Thomas, standing out on the outskirts of that very cold day, would have been swirling in his mind this question that Jesus would have asked not too long before this event happened in the temple. Because after hearing this question from Jesus, there is no doubt that it would have been rattling around in Thomas's head and rattles around in our head still today, some 2,000 years later. And it's a very simple question that Jesus asks in Matthew chapter 16 in verse 13, and it says this. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, not one disciple, his disciples, plural. And here's the question. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Who do you say that I am? And he's sitting there with his disciples and he says, who do you say that I am? To which I think a lot of the disciples in that moment do the very thing that you and I do when somebody asks a question and we don't know the answer. We're, we're engaged with this conversation, right? We know what's happening. We're looking at this conversation and somebody says, hey, I've got a question for you. And they ask the question, who do you say the son of man is? And the minute that we don't think we know the answer, what do we do? We do this. I hope he doesn't call on me. I hope he doesn't call on me. Please call on somebody else. Please call on somebody else. Praise God there was a disciple named Peter. Because, and they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, but others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And look at this response here. It says this, and then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? I don't care what they say. I want to know what you say. And all 11 of those other disciples had to have been praising God for Peter. Because Peter speaks up and he goes, oh, I have an answer. Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because the flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven did. This is the question. 
that oftentimes this world today, when asked of it, even Christians who claim to be Christians but have no affiliation with Christ whatsoever are asked, who do you say that I am? Oh, no, no, I don't care what the world says. I wanna know what you have to say. I wanna know what you have to say. Who am I to you? To which I think a lot of people just do this. Oh, I hope he doesn't call on me. I've been around students long enough <laughs> that when they don't want to answer a question, their eyes go from here to here. This is also free. This wasn't in my notes. You ever want to get a room of students or junior hires quiet? Ask one of them to pray out loud. That's funnier than you guys are laughing, by the way, because it's so true. They will just bring that, that level 10 volume to a zero, and they'll look down. Why? I don't know. Who do you say that I am? I don't know. And I can only imagine on that very cold day where everybody's breath was visible, Thomas out on the outskirts over there witnessing this tense scene where Jesus had just claimed to be God and the stones were being picked up because he just, he just said a blasphemous statement. He just claimed he was God. And I could only imagine that in this moment, it's highly likely that in this moment that Thomas is thinking, I've heard this question before. Who do you say that I am? Where all the disciples were like, well, I know what other people say about you. And Jesus looks him square in the eye and says, but who do you say that I am? And it would be that cold day where Thomas would witness this whole thing. If you fast forward to the end of John's gospel and you get past the crucifixion of Jesus, you actually get past the resurrection of Jesus, something that we just celebrated a few days ago. You're gonna find a powerful, powerful moment that I believe prompted all of these questions, that prompted all of these interactions, and it goes like this in John chapter 20, verse 24 to 29. It says, one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. He's alive. He rose from the dead. This will be some like 2,000 years ago to the day right now where this would be this moment where everybody would be running up to him and Jesus would have appeared to the disciples but Thomas wasn't there and they told him we've seen the Lord but he replied, I won't believe it. I will not believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound, wound in his side. Eight days later, can you imagine? Can you imagine saying this? You just followed a guy for three years. You heard everything that he was talking about. You heard everything that he was predicting. You heard everything that he was preaching. You saw all the signs, all the miracles. You were right there. You were on the outskirts of the temple that day when you watched Jesus say, the Father and I are one, and you can't even piece all of these things together. And it took eight days of silence, nothing. When he was told, he's alive. And he said, I won't believe it until I put my hands over the nail marks in his hands. I won't believe it. And eight full days go by. 
and the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. He says, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand to the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Who do you say that I am? I got the marks to prove it. Who do you say that I am? You know I'm human. You believe that I'm God. This is what Jesus is asking in this moment. He says, don't be faithless any longer. Believe. And then notice the words of Thomas. My Lord, my God. My Lord, my God. Not just a Lord or a God. Not just my friend's Lord and my friend's God, not just my spouse's Lord or my spouse's God, but my Lord, my God, Thomas exclaimed. And then look what Jesus says to him. He says this, and Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me, which would have applied to every single person in that day, but there's a message for you and I at the very end of this encounter that Jesus has with Thomas, and it says this, blessed are those who believe without seeing me. That's for me and you. That's for me and you today, because I don't know about you, but I haven't seen nail marks in Jesus's hand, but he says, blessed are those who believe without seeing me. That's for you and me. So many times I hear people say, I wanna hear from God. I wanna hear his voice. I wanna know that he's alive and active. This word of God that we, read, that we read from every Wednesday and Thursday night and every other day in our lives, prayerfully you do too, guess what? This is screaming out to you. Blessed are those who believe but do not see me. That's for you and I. But I know in a room this size, Life happens. Hard things happen. Unforeseen circumstances happen, which has us questioning, I believe you're fully man, but I just don't know if I buy the God part. I've had a lot of hurt in my life. I've experienced a lot of disappointment. I've failed more times than I could count. But it's not just those who are down and out on our luck or feel like the odds are always stacked against us. Because there are a collection of people too that think, why do I need a God? My life's great. My life's perfect. I have worked hard for everything that I've earned. I have worked so incredibly diligently. I have made my own luck. I, I, I. Jesus says, Blessed are those, blessed are those who believe without seeing me. So the question propped up for you tonight is this. Is he your Lord? Is he your God? It's not about your spouse's Lord. It's not about your spouse's God. It's not about your child's Lord and your child's God. 
It's not about your coworkers, Lord, and your coworkers, God. This is about you asking yourself this question right now. Is he my Lord? Is he my God? There's an element of that closing passage right there that says, blessed are those who believe without seeing me that requires a little bit of faith, if you think about it. Faith that there would be a way made so that I would be able to just step out. In just a second, we're gonna do a couple of things. First of all, I'm gonna pray and lead out a prayer that if anybody in this room wants to say yes to Jesus, to declare that I don't just believe that you are fully human because that's irrefutable. But tonight I see the irrefutable evidence that Jesus was also fully God. And I want him to be my God and my Lord. I want it to be a personal relationship that I have with him because I see scripture making it so clear that I will be blessed if I believe even though I don't see him. And if any of you want to do that tonight, I'm going to lead a prayer. Right after that prayer, we're actually going to sing a song. It's called Waymaker. I bet for some of you, in order to say yes, you're going to want to see God make a way in your life. You're going to want to see God make a way. But notice, can we go back to that last passage, you guys? Notice what this says. It says this. It says, blessed are those who believe. Notice that that comes first. They believe without seeing. And we're gonna sing the song Waymaker and there's a song and there's a line in that song that makes God so personal, that makes Jesus so personal. And it says this. It talks about all these characteristics about who Jesus is and then it says, my God, that is who you are. My God, that is who you are. Are you prepared to declare tonight that he is my God? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for giving up your divine privileges of leaving your cush home up in heaven alongside your father to come down to this earth to go die a gruesome death on a cross, something that we just acknowledged in the last week. But death couldn't hold you down. In fact, you laughed at death. That's all you got? Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? Because death wouldn't hold you down. You would actually raise from the dead and it would be a powerful moment that you would have with one of your 12, one of the people that followed you everywhere you went, that doubted. And so for anybody in here tonight who's walked in with even a shred of doubt, we got one of your own Jesus who doubted. And when he saw, he believed. But then God, you told us something so powerfully that lives in us and that follows us wherever we go when you said, blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Father, I pray for the person in here who has doubted, who has wanted evidence that you are God. I pray that tonight their heart would be beating so fast right now because they saw that and they recognize the, the evidence is irrefutable. One of your very own who doubted you saw you and said, I, you are my God and you are my Lord. 
pray for the person who's doubted. I pray for the person in here. I pray for the couple in here who's been trying to hold it together on their own when we see so clearly, Jesus, that you are the one who holds all things together, that we would stop trying on our own. Pray for the person in here that just showed up tonight. Had no idea they would be here tonight. Pray for the person who's watching online that this link was shared with them or they stumbled it across it on YouTube. Pray for every person in here that they'd be willing to take that step of faith to declare, you know what, Jesus, you are my God and my Lord. And if that's you, I wanna give you an opportunity to say yes to him. I'm gonna pray this prayer. It's not a fancy prayer. It's a simple prayer that acknowledges that God is God and we aren't. If you're ready to declare Jesus as your Lord and your God tonight, I invite you to pray this prayer right where you are at, silently to yourself. Pray this. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for not giving up on me. I ask you to make me yours. I say yes to you. Yes, I want your love. Yes, I want the life you have for me. So fill me with your love and fill me with your Holy Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen if you prayed that prayer just now. Amen. Anybody in this room, out on the patio, even watching online. And by the way, if you prayed that prayer and you're watching online, text the word amen to 77247. Thanks again for joining us. Here at Crossroads, we're all about helping people take their next step. So, what's your next step? Whether you've made a decision to follow Jesus, want to be baptized, or you're interested in knowing more about God and the Bible through our Alpha class, we can help you take your next step at crossroadschurch.family. We also want to invite you to gather your family and friends to join us right here online again next week. We're live Wednesdays at 7 p.m. or Sundays at 9 a.m. So if you're watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe button and you'll never miss out on any new messages. If you found this message encouraging, click the like button and let us know how we can pray for you this week in the comments. Finally, if your life is being impacted by Crossroads and if you wanna be part of making an impact all over the world, you can head to crossroadschurch.family to do that now. Thanks again for watching and we'll see you next time.